Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, my guest is Nick Vile. He is an entertainment podcast host and television personality who rose to fame when he starred in the 21st season of ABC's The Bachelor. You know, the events on these shows often spur vibrant public discourse about relationships and gender dynamics. In fact, that's how I got to know Nick originally as a guest on his podcast, The Vile Files. Because I have enjoyed connecting with him on his show, I was excited to invite him on to Reimagining Love. In this conversation, Nick and I talk about the discussions that often emerge online after heated moments on the show, and how they can create both productive and unproductive discussions about modern relationships. Nick is not a professional, like some of my other guests, but a portion of his podcast is dedicated to answering listeners' relationship questions. So I was eager to have him on to tackle a great listener question about defensiveness. We bring different angles and backgrounds to this question, and I love all the twists and turns that our conversation took. As someone who has navigated relationship challenges on the public stage, Nick has a lot to share, and he's pretty entertaining as well. I hope that you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. My pleasure, Dr. Solomon. Always fun to chat with you. (laughs) I appreciate the way that you have grown your platform and that you find this place of being in the fun romance messiness of the show while also really engaging in relationship advice and helping people move towards more wholeness and authenticity in their love lives. Like you really have found a way of creating a show that's pretty special. I really appreciate you saying that, especially coming from you. And it can also be challenging at times, but it's something I'm passionate about. I have a lot of fun doing, but (laughs) it comes with its challenges. It comes with its challenges because it's not as if what happens in Bachelor Nation is over here and real life is over here. 
the show is immensely complicated, like what it's doing, what it's not doing. But the things that happen on the show, and I, I'm hoping to hear more about kind of what you have learned about yourself and relationships through your experiences in The Bachelor Enterprise, but it's not like one is real and one is fake. The things that come up in the show really hold echoes and opportunities for understanding that have to do with all of our lives. It's not like some sort of made up world over there. Well, yeah, what it is, is a highly staged atmosphere. It's a controlled atmosphere. They're steering conversations and creating situations and then letting it play out to see what happens. You have real reactions to controlled and staged events. And another situation came up. One of the women on the show, Sheila's like, seemed like she got mad for no reason. And she came at this guy and he reacted in a way that seemed a little aggressive and reactive and defensive. She seemed to want to pick a fight. And when he asked for solutions, she was like, I don't know. I'm just mad, <laughs> you know. But he did not in any way do a good job of de-escalating the situation. In fact, everything he said just made the situation worse because he got defensive and he tried to communicate, but not in a way that was any way productive. It does bring up conversations that I think and I try to have of applying this to like real world situations. How often have we been in relationships where we have a feeling, we want to express it, but we go about it in a way that's so counterproductive. And then as a result of that, or maybe we're on the receiving side, we get defensive. We're like, what? why are you yelling at me? What, what the hell? Like, why are you attacking me? I literally thought everything was fine. And I do think that's an incredibly relatable situation that like what I try to do is like, how can we look at that? And then how can we first look about what we are doing in those situations to avoid these, what hopefully can be avoidable situations? Because I think a lot of people seem to confuse the difference between setting their boundary, speaking up for themselves. These are all important things. But going about it in a way that is going to be productive, because so many people, I think, in relationships, especially early on, young love or whatever, we understand the concept of setting the boundaries, and we try to do that, but we do in a way that is often triggering for our partners. You're making a number of really good points, and I think that would be a point of curiosity and relational reflection for her. I suspect on the show, she had a really legit concern or unmet need, or a boundary she needed to set with this guy. But the part that she was likely not seeing was how did she invite the conversation? So she's kind of missing maybe how she came in, but then what stands out. So obviously, like the sort of blatant one is his big reaction. And she's missing the fact that she could have had a softer entry. She could have had, you know, but the show's not pulling for curious, mindful dialogue. It's pulling for lots of alcohol, lots of bikinis. Everything is so heightened and so intense. It's not pulling for mindful, slow-paced curious conversation about what am I bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the table? And how much of this is like what the show is pulling for from each of us? 
we create the conditions for defensiveness and then perhaps blame the person for becoming defensive. And so I love, I mean, you offered really beautiful alternative language. So rather than voicing the complaint, why didn't you do this for me? Could she have voiced the unmet need? Like, listen, you know, we're getting to know each other. I really like you. It's just all of what you said. Here's what would, you know, really land for me as if you would do something like this. Yeah. And likewise, he matched her energy as opposed to what he could have done is de-escalated by saying, okay, hold on, I like you. And I seem to be missing the mark with you. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. And can you just help me get there? When it comes to at least heterosexual partnerships, the playing field is not even, right? I would suspect that your audience, both on the podcast and the show's audience, skews largely towards women. This podcast is going to skew more towards women. My Instagram following skews more towards women. My book readers are mostly women. So we have this like Likewise, really yeah, uneven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm always thinking, okay, where are the guys and how do we get the guys in? Because the sort of issues around defensive responses and escalation versus de-escalation, like those are an actual set of skills that men can learn and men do learn. And when I'm doing therapy with men, like that's the stuff that we're working on. But it's this like perpetual like pebble in my shoe of like, okay, how do we bring men in to these shows, to these podcasts, you know, because it is, it, it creates the conditions then where often what I see, and I'm sure you see it too, is that women will have much more robust language for what's happening and much more robust ability to kind of like identify what's going on and like use these, you know, the boundaries and the codependence and the gaslighting and the this and the that. And that I think will create the conditions where men will get increasingly defensive because it feels like, I don't know what you're saying and I don't know what these frameworks are. And not that women get it right necessarily, but I think they can sometimes kind of talk circles around a male partner who just has oftentimes not been socialized to do a lot of relational talk. I worry that the gap is not closing. It's actually growing in terms of divisiveness between men and women because we finally have women feeling like they're being heard for the first time and acknowledge some of the, like the real unfortunate things that they have to deal with. And I don't have a single woman friend in my life, whether it's a girlfriend or ex-girlfriends or just female friends that don't have at least one story of a man making them feel anywhere from uncomfortable to an actual victim. Yeah. I don't have a single one. Mm -hmm. There's enough of bad apples that they're not just dating one girl. That one bad apple Every woman they interact with, they're doing shitty things. Again, anything from maybe an ass grab to an inappropriate sexual comment to just not being self-aware about the energy they bring and just making women feel uncomfortable to, again, predatorial behavior with men. So I empathize with the frustration from women. I empathize why there's a lot of anger and things like that. But then that gets talked about. And then you have a bunch of other guys listen to that being like, wait, I get ridiculed in my relationship. I'm constantly being talked down to. I wake up every day and my girlfriend's calling me a piece of shit, an asshole, and they feel emotionally abused. Now you're having to sides doing more yelling and less empathizing. We seem to have a hard time of acknowledging the other side's hurt and pain while still feeling like we would be heard with our frustrations. Yep, absolutely. I think you're making so many good points. And I think a lot of it comes back to 
supporting men having processes where they really like rewind the clock and they like connect with the little boy they used to be because so much of this stuff comes from early experiences, right? Where we tell little boys not to cry, where we teach little boys to like never, ever let somebody else win, like never, ever back down and all the ways in which fathers unintentionally pass down what they got from their dads and they got from their dads. I also meet men and fathers and husbands, as I know you do too, who are really working so hard to break those like intergenerational chains that are all about a profound fear of vulnerability, a profound fear of coming up short, a profound fear of being seen as weak or confused or not enough. So much of men's healing work, I think, is helping them rest more comfortably in the fact that you are enough as you are. You don't need to prove. Every conversation is not a battle where you have to like prove your might and your whole sense of self, like that you get to like rest comfortably in your own enoughness. I think that's so much of where the work is. And I love when men are working with male therapists who've done their work. Like I love when men create circles of healing because- in the absence of that, their intimate partnership with a woman becomes the only place where they can work on any of this. And then she is at risk of feeling overwhelmed, right? Because she is the only one who hears anything about his vulnerability or his weakness or his confusion. So I think men need and deserve like villages and communities where they can like drop their guard and be like, oh yeah, no, I internalized that message and that fucked me up and that wasn't right. And so much healing that can come from that. It is a challenge too. I think sometimes the frustration that like men might have is they'll feel confused by how to go about it. Obviously, I have this platform and I put myself out there and I really kind of expose my thoughts and views to the world for anyone to see and critique. There was a this person on the internet who came across my stuff and was just really critical of like my advice or whatever. And she was she made a lot of assumptions about who I was and like she referred to me as like this reform fuckboy who's needs you know talk to men about x y and z and she was talking from a place of toxic masculinity type of thing and my dog was cuddling with my girlfriend and you know Instagram has these polls I honestly use them because if for anyone listening if you use a poll on your Instagram stories it will improve your engagement so like fun fact <laughs> if you're trying to do that and so the poll was how many of you like to cuddle I suspected that majority would say yes, but I wasn't like, oh, I wonder what the results are going to be. And this person who was like suggesting that I was demonstrating some sort of toxic energy or toxic masculinity essentially called me out, why is a man asking about cuddling? Like an ew. Even when she said that, I got self-conscious. Is it weird for me as a guy to talk about cuddling? I think men and women are still adjusting to what we hope is the new norm right, of being these sensitive beings and empathetic beings. I hear women also struggle with, well, I want a sensitive guy, but I also still want the, still want a man, you know, whatever that masculine energy means to you. And it, it's becoming very confusing, I think, for men out there about what they want or, or what they should do. That story is really powerful because in that moment in which she's judging you, for your love of cuddling, your desire to connect through cuddling, she's revealing Or just my curiosity really, about it. Just, yeah. okay. I hope it's a love also of cuddling. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I do. I just, that. I'm proud That's to say that. I do enjoy a cuddle. Yeah. Oh my God. Who doesn't? And so in that moment though, what she has an opportunity to do is say, 
oh my God, look at what these patriarchal binary messages about men and women, look what that's done to me. It's done to me in this moment. I am judging this man for a desire to be touched. Like it's a moment of reflection. It's an opportunity for her to reflect on her reactivity to something that you said. And I hope that she will take it that way. But, you know, your sense is that what she did was she just stuck an ew label on you rather than taking the chance to be like, huh, what does this moment have to teach me about me? It's what I, I wrote about this in my first book is I, Todd, my husband, is three or four inches shorter than me. It was a whole thing for me to deconstruct my notions of how men's bodies ought to be next to women's bodies and all of this. And I still sometimes will feel like the echoes of that like socialized notion of how we ought to look together, how my body ought to feel against his body. Like this stuff is deep and it's old and none of us asked for it. We just kind of inherited it. We're trying to undo hundreds of years of like social construct Social media has a lot of value in a lot of ways, and it's giving us incredible access to all this information. And then the downside is everyone's an expert. Everyone's out there posting, what is gaslighting? Ever since that, <laughs> I, like, I'm going to die on this hill because there's been like three other times on this show where people are like, oh, that's gaslighting. And I'm just like, oh, I think when it comes to things like gaslighting, there's a lot of things you could do and say that would be part of someone being gaslit. but like disagreeing with someone or saying, I didn't say that, not listening to each other, or even some sort of what could be classified as manipulation, because manipulation can be as simple as I was teasing my girlfriend. She does this thing where she'll be like, can you make me, I'm exaggerating, but toast? I pride myself as a boyfriend who likes to get up and get the glass of water for her and do these favors. But once in a while, I'm like, eh, I'm good. Just like, I'm lazy too. And she'll say, but you just make it so much better than me. We both know that she's capable of making toast, but she doesn't want to do it. And she is manipulating me. And this is all playful and fine. I'm not accusing my girlfriend, but like we, we all do these things. We all, there's a spectrum. That's a very playful and fun. You both are knowing what's going on to dangerous manipulation, toxic manipulation, manipulation that's abusive in some cases and things like that. And I think, again, that nuance, we're dismissing that things are on a spectrum. And right now, I think if you ask the average person who has even heard of the phrase gaslighting, is gaslighting abuse? They would say yes, I think most people. So we're assigning it with abuse, and yet we're misclassifying or misdiagnosing all the time. And so I guess what I'm saying is the awareness of what it means to be gaslight, I think, is a great thing to understand your boundaries and recognize when things are going on to say, whoa, like, why are you making me feel that way? I don't like, I think that's really positive and really great. But it's turned into this, like, again, this diagnose. And on my podcast, I asked Nick, a, a young woman called in and Essentially, she was listening to my other podcast about gaslighting, and she's I, I have a situation, and I accuse this guy of gaslighting based off of X, Y, or Z. And now it's become this like big, dramatic situation amongst our friend groups because his friends are becoming very defensive as their friend. What they're hearing is, she's calling you an abuser, man. So his friends are like, that's not gaslighting. And her friends are like, oh, he sucks or whatever. And, and you know, I'm talking with her, but like, well, it sounds like what you're telling me is a guy who was flying a bunch of red flags 
in front of you and you weren't interested in looking. And he gave you a bunch of opportunities to say, nah, I don't want to be in this situation. And then you called him a gaslighter and you're even recognizing that you're not entirely sure if he was. It's turned in this whole mess. And I give her a lot of credit because here's this young woman who you could tell her she had the best intentions. She really wanted to like establish these boundaries and she wanted to not put up with this. And she was just trying to find the tools to do that. And well, and she was trying to find she was trying to find a language for pain. And what I stay hopeful about is sometimes when we don't have language of like shades of gray in our pain, we just go to the biggest version. And for those of us who have a trauma history that hasn't been healed, trauma, one of the imprints that a traumatic experience can leave is an inability to grade. Is this a level 100 danger? Is it a level 50 danger? Is it a level 10 danger? So then everything feels really big, really urgent, really scary. And so I do hold hope as we start to talk about these things. And you were giving her some opportunity for how she might like develop some gradients, but this was a red flag and you kind of blew past it. And then there was this thing and you blew past that. But and so she has a chance to kind of begin to honor the first whisper of trouble, you know, before it becomes like the entire like yell of trouble. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. I, okay, so Nick, you and I have two more things we've got to get done in this conversation. Are you ready for my next situation for you? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear, so on every episode of Reimagining Love, I ask my guest this question, which is this. I want to know, uh, what is a growing edge that you're currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has that growing edge been teaching you? Can I ask what a growing edge is? Something that you're working on, something you're noticing within yourself, a dynamic or a pattern or something that you are kind of learning about yourself and working on in a relationship that matters to you. One thing I got a note from my therapist a while back when Natalie, my girlfriend, and I started dating as someone who maybe like a typical guy thing, I like to problem solve. And my therapist taught me the importance of taking timeouts and disagreements. And if you recognize you have a disagreement or you're just not on the same page, thankfully for mine and Natalie's relationship, we're almost surprised we disagree on something. And then there's a frustration. And I think in the past, in my past relationships, that would escalate very quickly into like a potential fight. Me and my past girlfriends were probably guilty of doing not enough listening and doing a lot of talking. And my therapist taught me that 
After 10 minutes, if you guys are arguing and you don't take a break, we all turn into like our children versions of ourselves. And she just taught me the value of saying, we're not breaking up over this. Let's just maybe revisit this in a later time, maybe today, maybe tomorrow morning. Let's not ignore it. Let's not push it away. But I think we just need to de-escalate. We've really avoided anything from escalating because we don't let it get to that. That is something that's really helpful for me because I do think men in general, I know I struggle with it, like that my determination to fix a problem. I had the best intentions, right? It was like, I want to solve this problem before it becomes an issue. My desire and lack of patience and my need to fix that problem immediately, it was the very thing that turned it into a bigger issue. And so that's something I've learned and try to have the self-awareness to recognize those moments when I need to do it. What you have just shared is so valuable, right? Like your urge to solve a problem comes from a really good place inside of you. You don't want a ruffle in between you and a person you love. Like you want things to be okay. You want to probably feel like you have agency over your situation. So problem solving is really tempting. And you have had to learn that sometimes it's not possible. It's just not possible. And you're learning how to like slow down, practice patience, step away when you need to, and just like know how to say, okay, we aren't seeing eye to eye. It's not going to destroy us. And we're going to move through it without needing to like urgently and in a panicked way, figure it out right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's been really helpful. And I have Darlene to thank. So the other thing that we I want to do with you is talk through a listener question. And I think it's going to give us a chance to pull together some threads that we've already been working on. So I have a question here that is from Jessie in Pittsburgh, and she uses she, her pronouns, and she writes, hi there, defensive behavior. It is so difficult to navigate, but I've stumbled into it with my last partner and my current partner. When everything else lines up in a partner, I do try to navigate it, but I also feel frustrated with it. I'm struggling between balancing, is this just who this person is versus time and trust will help lessen their defensiveness. I've been with my boyfriend for a year and a half, and the defensive responses are such a catalyst for rifts in our relationship. Even if I share that I'm feeling sad about something, it's met with a defensive response. I hate that it creates a feeling of two sides and that the other side is being a bit selfish when I want to feel like partners together on one side. Any advice for navigating this? Very apropos to the conversation we've been having, but and we're making some assumptions here, but she sounds like someone who recognizes this is a rift in her relationships. She sure sounds like someone who's really trying to find a solution. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in relationships that try those tools and they still get the very same defensive reaction they're trying to avoid. I would ask this person, you know, if you're being really honest with yourself, have you tried these various tools. If you approach a situation and let them know what they haven't done and use this kind of triggering language, you're going to trigger someone if you're using triggering language. If you are going about it and no matter what, you're with someone who is simply just reactive and very defensive, then that might be a big red flag that despite the love, despite a lot of great things you have in this relationship, your partner has a lot of work to do on themselves and that might require therapy and certainly time. And you just have to decide whether you're willing to stick by their side. But 
it's not going to change overnight and it might not be something you have the power to fix. The big challenge is how do you have that conversation with a defensive person to suggest they need to work on themselves and have therapy? And so I tend to find those situations as a really justified reason to maybe walk away from that relationship. And so I try to remind at least my audience, there is nothing wrong of always being willing to opt out of a relationship. And I don't think that's unromantic. I very much believe in choosing to be with your partner every day and them choosing to be with you. And if you choose to be with your partner, by definition, that is also an opportunity not to choose them. We act like once we say we're in love and once we commit to each other, we have to fight. We have to figure it out. And I think there is a time and a place to fight for relationship and fight for love and work on problems. As we know, you can only do 100% of your half. Sometimes it's okay to try and look at every aspect and then decide, I love this person. It's great. There's so much goodness here. Yes, I've invested already two years of my life or whatever it is, but I'm not willing and it's not okay to be in a relationship where I have to walk on eggshells. I have to tiptoe around my feelings just to feel heard, just to express how I want to be loved because you have uncovered ultimately what is a non-negotiable for you that despite all your best efforts and your investment, you might be able to find healthier and better elsewhere. It's sad, right? It's really, it's sad and it's sobering. And I can imagine an added piece for Jesse is that she came out of a relationship where it sounds like defensive behavior was really the end of the road. And now in this new relationship, she's again finding this pattern. And I think that everything you've said about, right, Jesse ensuring on her side of the street that she is maximizing the chances that her partner will be able to hear her and not put his walls up and not put his guard up. And if she's done 100% of her 50%, which I love that language, it's a beautiful way, then the question becomes, to what degree does her current boyfriend want this relationship to be like a crucible for growth? Because this guy could grow. Defensive behavior, this is not like a forever bound into the DNA of this man's cells. Like learning how to shift away from defensive behavior to curious language, to holding space, to empathy. Like these are all really learnable things. And I can completely imagine a world where he came into this relationship without those skills. Like we were saying before, it just tends to not be how we socialize our boys and our men. We socialize them into patterns of defensive behavior. We tell them, you have to be in control of situations. So then when a partner says, I don't like that you did this, what are they going to do? They're going to try to reestablish control by defending, by maneuvering, by saying, yeah, but look at it this way. You're overreacting. You're too sensitive. Like we create the conditions for this, but it's so unlearnable <laughs> that it makes me frustrated that you're right. But the variable that matters is, does this man want to use this opportunity for growth within the context of this relationship? And he's going to need some books and some podcasts and a therapist and maybe a couple's therapist who can be like, okay, wait, time out. Take a deep breath. Roll your shoulders back. Let's quiet your body down because everything in your body right now is moving you towards danger. This is a fight. I got to push back and we got to shift your body so that you can just be here now with this partner. 
So I have a question for you. Yeah. How do you approach that with someone, again, that you haven't had marriage vows? You Part of dating is the opportunity to have an easy out and like how much do you have to be willing to do? Because what I have found in a lot of cases, it seems like sometimes a partner can get their like husband or wife to see couples therapy after a lot of begrudgingly. But like, how do you do that in a, just a boyfriend, girlfriend situation? What's often the case is you have, we have one person recognizing there's a problem between us. And in this situation, her partner is guilty of defensive behavior. And while fixable, she has to be able to reach him to have him without trying to get so defensive that he's refusing to get therapy. You know what I'm saying? It just seems while fixable, what seems so hard to do is to get that person to want to recognize that they need to fix it. Where is the leverage? Like, where is the leverage? Where is the buy-in? Yeah. And that's, the, that's what seems to be so hard for people. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you have an answer for that. Well, I do think part of it is continuing to work on destigmatizing couples therapy. Like, I've had couples come in a year and a half into the relationship, and they can come in with such a heavy, like, cloak of shame around them. Like, we've only been together a year and a half, and we're in couples therapy. And the first thing I do is say, I love that after only a year and a half, you're here. Because guess what I've seen so many times? I've seen a couple come in the door. They haven't made love in eight years. They've had the same fight, you know, 92,000 times. They basically have the analogy sometimes we'll use is they have like stage four cancer, right? Like it has spread so far. It is so severe. And now we're trying to work on healing versus, you know what? We're pretty early on. We're setting down some habits here. There's already some things that we're struggling with. We don't see eye to eye on this. I think you're defensive. You think I'm overreactive. Like, what if we bring in somebody to help us just look at this together? I would love to live in a world where the bar for couples therapy is so much lower that people will just go. I teach a, like a dose-based model. Like you do a dose of therapy, maybe at the year and a half mark, and a dose of therapy when you move in together, and a dose of therapy when you get married. Like it just is a tool that you pick up and use and then let go of as you need. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, analogy I, I like to use on my show when talking about love and something I've kind of recently came up with is like we recognize, I think most of us, like love is a very powerful thing, incredibly powerful. And we also recognize that like a high performance, like Ferrari or like a Formula One sports car, also powerful thing. The difference between those two things is that if you are going to drive a sports car, you at a minimum are like given like driving classes and probably very specific classes on how to drive said like high performance engine. And yet when it comes to love, we're just like, you know what? Figure it out. All I guess really couples therapy is, especially in a dating situation is saying, all right, we've tried to drive this car. I, I don't even know how to drive stick. Maybe we should get a guy or a girl or a woman who knows how to drive this car and give us some of the basics of like how to turn on the engine and not stall the car because we're all trying to drive these high performance things called love with absolutely no training. And then we're wondering why we're like crashing constantly all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. Yes, it's a wonderful analogy. It's why I'm going to be like passionate about all of this like relationship and sex education until I'm like an old woman. I'm so passionate about it because there is stuff to learn, especially this. I mean, I think about this guy and I think about when Jesse says, 
Even when I'm sad, he gets defensive. That just makes me like wonder so much about his experience and his family when he was little. Like who was sad around him when he was little and how incredibly overwhelmed must he have felt if he was near somebody, one of his big people, one of his caregivers, and if they were sad, their sad must have completely overwhelmed him. And so he deserves a chance to kind of figure out the ways in which that ghost, right, the little boy who was overwhelmed by the big sad person, that ghost is in the room with them every time she gets sad and he doesn't live there anymore. He now is a big man with big shoulders and big arms. And when she is sad, he could hold her or talk to her or look at her or invite her out for a walk or give her some ice cream. There's so many things he could do with her sad besides critique it, get defensive with it, right? There's so many other moves that are available. But if he doesn't know how to connect those dots about from the past and how it used to feel when he was little, then he's going to do nothing but critique her sadness, get defensive about her sadness because he has no other no other moves. Totally. And I feel like something that uh, a lot of couples do, and maybe I think we've been programmed too, is that when we're in these relationships, we either directly or indirectly put the burden of our feelings on our partner. You know, you want to be happy in a relationship, but if you feel sad, even if it's from things that are happening in the relationship, we want our partners to be responsible for our feelings. And it's such a fine line by saying, hey, I want to communicate you how I'm feeling and I'd love for us to work on it. And maybe I'm approaching it a different way. And like this is what I'd like you to do better, but let me know if maybe I'm asking too much. And we never really do that. We're just like, you just make me feel this. Even when we, <laughs> even when we say that to our partner. and, and Ooh, That triggers me. That's my trigger phrase. Me too. Like when I've had, like, you know, your partners come and say, well, you make me feel this way. I get very defensive. You know, I'm just like. Of course. Of course you do. Like these people have the best intentions and they try so hard. And maybe their parents, we have so many parents getting divorced. So they lived with parents who are relatively toxic. They don't really have any good examples of how to properly communicate. What they do know is they don't want to be like their parents. They know that. They don't know much more. And then they find themselves in a relationship where all they want to do is not be their parents. And then they're with someone who goes, but you make me feel whatever it is. And I'm someone who's got loving parents and I have a great role models. And yet, if you say that to me, my natural reaction will to be defensive and to be upset with what, why did I, man, I feel like such a failure. And I, but also, what about X, Y, and Z? What, what about those things I did? Did they not mean anything to you? Et cetera, et cetera. And, and... That's right. That's right. I was thinking also in this question, last week I had something that was like really bothering me. And I talked, it was not about Todd, but I turned towards Todd with it, you know? And he did actually like a pretty lovely job of just offering empathy and not too much problem solving, but he did some problem solving. And I would say, hey, wait, can you just go back to the part where you just validate and have empathy? And then the next thing I did, I have a women's circle. These women that I've been meeting with almost every week for years and years. And I talked about it in my women's circle. I know that it takes a whole bunch of different connection points for me to feel whole and well and healthy. And I cannot possibly expect Todd to be my go-to for every one of my emotional needs. And if I go to Todd with something emotional, he's going to at some point problem solve. Like it's just the nature of the beast. And there's some times when it's beautiful and problem solving is magnificent. And I love that he can see the forest for the trees when I can't. But I also know to not expect everything from him. And if I want really deep empathy, I'm going to go 
to my women's circle. I'm going to go to my best friend, Allie. There are other people I will go to and that's what I need. And so I think that one of the problems with this like romantic culture that we're in is that we expect our intimate partner to meet every single one of our needs all of the time. Yeah. And to know how to meet it without communicating how it might be helpful. I'm as guilty as anyone of being the problem solver. And it serves me well in a lot of aspects. And even the show, people are calling me with help me solve my problem. They're at a position to want to hear it. That's why they're calling. So it works. But it doesn't work in my relationship often. And as every girlfriend has before, that's been something I have to work on. And now and I were talking about it. I asked her, like, what's one thing I could do differently that I haven't done yet? And she brought that up. And I said, clearly that's fair. You're not the first one. Can I ask something of you? Can you just give me a heads up when you come to me with something of what the expectation is of me? Can you just tell me, hey, babe, really not interested in your hot take or your problem solving. What I would really love is for you to listen, have my back. And if I want your help, I will ask for it. And she was like, yeah, I can do that. Again, that's something I've had to learn to communicate. And it was great. But our love isn't more special. Like none of us tell the future or we don't have this ability to read minds. And even if we did, that doesn't mean we're more in love than anyone else. And yet we act like having that intuition is sometimes makes our love fairy tale-ish or blah, 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 blah. So whenever, whenever you can accept like an upfront expectation does not minimize what it means for them to do that thing you want them to do. Like I get you want to be with someone who like wants to do the dishes. And yes, that doesn't take away from someone who takes the initiative, et cetera, et cetera, does their part. But is a fine line between if you have very specific things, someone called in the other day and, you know, she's like, I'm dating this guy for like three weeks. And he's just, I want you to be my girlfriend. I was just like, what does being your girlfriend mean to him? She's like, I don't know. I said, it doesn't mean the same to everybody. We act like being boyfriend and girlfriend and defining a relationship is some sort of this universal thing. If you want a monogamous relationship, other than like not having sex with other people, like being boyfriend and girlfriend is also a spectrum of so many nuanced, different things for so many people. How you talk, how you communicate, what you like to do for fun, expectations, how much time you spend together. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Et cetera, et cetera. And yet we act like it's this one thing. And when people define the relationship, asking like, well, what are your expectations of a boyfriend and girlfriend? is a question no one is asking that all of us should be asking. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Oh, Nick, I feel like we covered a lot of ground with Jesse. I feel like we kind of laid out some of the things that we want her to keep in mind and some of the next steps. I think that you really hit the nail on the head around Jesse's work is to figure out like how much buy-in is she going to have from this boyfriend? Because I don't think the problem is unsolvable. I think that he can learn some different behaviors, but none of that happens until and unless she's got his buy-in because she can't do all this work on her own. Hey, I think it's like she has to try to assess where on the spectrum is he in his kind of defensiveness and is it actually as bad as it might sound as we're reading it? Or are there moments where like sometimes it's just she knows when to talk to him and when not to, and she just wants to not have to tiptoe. And then, like you said, just finding a way to approach selling him and pitching me in the idea that 
there's so much that we have that's so great between us. There's this one thing that, and no finger pointing that they struggle with that if not fixed could ruin everything else. So let's try to fix it. Like many people should, she can feel free to use our race car analogy and sell them this idea to say, Hey, we, I don't have the tools to do this. You don't like neither of us do. Let's try to get some help because there's so much good that we have that I don't want to lose. And, and hopefully he is down. Yep. Jesse, we are, we're thinking of you and we, we really appreciate this question because I think it will land deeply for a lot of listeners. So thank you, Jesse. And thank you, Nick, for helping me sort that one through. I appreciate that you are in the trenches, right? Like you are connecting with people every day on your show who are dealing with all kinds of different questions and opportunities to understand themselves more deeply, understand what they want, understand how to ask for what they need. There's so many chances, right? Our relationships give us chances again and again. I'm still learning. I'm 23 years into my marriage and I'm still learning how to love Todd, how to invite Todd to love me. So it's never, we're never done. And I think sometimes we will get hard on ourselves because we recognize that it's simple. It's, oh, of course. Like, why wouldn't you do that? It's just like so hard to apply. And like you said, I think it's just important to give ourselves the grace, not only to ourselves, but to our partners and the people around us. The reason why it's so hard, because it's so personal to all of us and we want to get it right. We have this weight of our shoulders to not only find the one, but then to once we find it, nourish it and take care of it and as long as we just show some vulnerability and like a willingness to be like, I'm married for 23 years and I'm still learning how to love my husband. What a great thing to say. And yet I think so often the expectation is you've been married for 23 years. How do you not know how to love me? You know, I think a lot of people will say things like that. And I think we'll always be talking about this stuff because I don't think we'll ever have it fully figured out because it might be simple, but it's so hard to do. And it's so easy to fall back into the traps of those moments. Like you talked about, like the one thing I'm trying to work on, there's going to be a point where I don't catch it as soon as I should. And maybe as soon as I have in the past and might have a fight with my girlfriend that I could have easily have avoided had I utilized the tool, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's okay. And as long as we show a willingness to learn and hopefully if we can do that, we'll figure things out a little bit better and make life easier on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that, right. So that our relationships then get to be a source of support, like the wind beneath our wings, like this place that we return to again and again for a sense of witnessing and somebody who's journeying alongside us. And I love that you're saying that you're right. There's going to be a time where you don't catch it because your blood sugar is low or your stress level is high or you had a bad day or it's a particularly tender spot that you didn't even know that Natalie was going to trip over something that was particularly tender or that you would trip over something of hers that's particularly tender. And that is going to happen. And then in the process of repair, I mean, I spend so much time teaching people how to repair because that's like where the rubber hits the road. It's not that we have unintentionally hurt each other. It's, oh shit, okay, now we're hurt and now what? And the process of repair oftentimes is incredibly intimacy promoting and we have chances to learn more about each other and have grace for ourselves and compassion for our partners, like in that process of kind of finding our way back. And very often we didn't 
have that role modeled in our houses growing up either. We saw people who swept it under the rug and kept on going or, you know, we're in icy silence for days. And so that process of learning how to make amends is just as important. I appreciate you. I'm so glad that you are here. I can't wait to invite you to come back on again when I've got another question where I'm like, okay, I want to break this one down with Nick. So I reserve the right to invite you back. Happy to come back. It's always fun (laughs) chatting with you, Dr. Solomon. I would imagine that most people who are listening know how to find you, but what do you want to share? How do you want people to find you? How do you want people to connect with you? My Instagram and my TikTok is this Nick Vial. And if you're interested in listening to my podcast, The Vial Files, we every Monday do a relationship style call in. I'll give them my a hot take, which is usually centered around an honest perspective of my take of their situation. I'm not a therapist or a doctor, and so I don't diagnose or anything like that. I'm just trying to allow them to see it in a way might empower them to make different decisions and control their situation rather than give their power away. And so it's really focused around that. And on Wednesdays is an interview style show where I'll talk to a variety of public figures and experts, Dr. Solomon has been on before, and uh, just a broad spectrum of interesting discussions, all of which kind of circle back to like relationships and dating. And then obviously we recap The Bachelor. So you can listen to that wherever you uh, get your podcast. And if you're a visual person, you can watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And we'll have all those links in the show notes for people as well. Excellent. Thank you, Nick. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks so much. Thank you again to Nick for joining me here on the show. Defensiveness is a real and common challenge. So I hope this conversation empowered you with tools and ideas to consider when you're faced with this behavior or when you're noticing it within yourself. Reimagining Love is produced by Elizabeth Vogt and edited by Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.